Hello and welcome to Empire of the Cop Insider. As ever, I have the lovely Neil Jones here with me today and I'll be your host, Farrell Keeling, as we go through uh, that latest win over Brentford and the consequences stemming from it. Um, it's a big 4-1 win against Brentford, an important win given the last two visits to the GTEC Community Stadium. And whilst we're on that, I do kind of want to touch on the, uh, the media narrative that stems from certain uh, parts and outlets uh, because I mean the length of time that was being discussed since sort of the last get the league when we were talking what was it sort of three league fixtures but they were going on about sort of the uh, was it 1947 or, or something like that that, that was sort of banging on about uh, since our like, sort of last league win but it's been like we played 38, in, 1938 38 there you go uh, but you look at the figures you think well okay you're picking on you're referring to 20 games or something, but there's only in actuality sort of three games sort of separating us from that point. It just seems a bit <laughs> over the top, doesn't it? Yeah, it does, I think. But they're both obviously very recent memories, aren't they? The two games and they're both on the egg clock. And Liverpool conceded three goals and they don't often concede three goals in a game. Um, less so, you know, twice in a row against the same team and not a top team. So... I think it was it was fair that people would look at the fixture as a potential um, one where Liverpool could slip up. I think Jürgen even said it on, on Friday in his press conference. He said, you know, I think Manchester City and Arsenal fans will look at this weekend and think this is the one where Liverpool could, could drop points. As it turned out, they didn't. And, and, and it, was, um, it was City who dropped points, you know, in, in a fixture that maybe a lot of people thought they would, they would win quite comfortably. Um, I thought it was a good performance for Liverpool. I thought it was a real... A real professional performance, a, real, a performance that had the hallmarks of a team that's ready to to to, to really compete and to, and to potentially win things. You know, you've, they're not the only team that'll go to Brentford and win, but the way that they did it and the the, the way that they held up and the, the clinical nature of the, the finishing and the fact that they were able to, you know, beat Brentford at their own game at times with you know direct play and and, and you know dangerous crosses and long balls over the top and things like that. I think that really really bodes well for them and. I know there's some negatives that we'll, we'll come on and talk about, but overall you can't you can't look at anything from Saturday um, in terms of the results without without sort of giving Liverpool an awful lot of credit. No, I couldn't agree more. Uh, you, you mentioned the negatives. We'll start with the positives at first. Give us a bit of a buffer. Um, I've got to start with Darwin Nunez's goal because uh, I mean, my goodness, that is worth watching on repeat and repeat. repeat. Credit to Jota for the initial header that sort of sets him up in the path, and it's just unadulterated brilliance uh, from our yeah. sort of main man up front. I mean, you know, you, you sort of looking at it, you say you can go for the easy option, you can play Jota in, you can round the keeper, he can slot it in. You know, there's so many options sort of that he could go for, but that that's his that's his thought process. And he's plenty of time to think about it. And, and you get, there's been constant criticism, I think, with Nunez this season that when he has the time to think, uh, he, he almost sort of struggles then he's more sort of an instinctive player but you know the fact he does sort of pull that off it's it's absolutely wild with the game level yeah it's wild you're right just to even think about him and just imagine he doesn't score you know you, you've got Jota next to him on a, a square pass you've obviously got every other option available in terms of going round the keeper you've got the you know just the, the the standard finish that you'd expect where you'd open your body inside foot it or, dr- or drill it across the keeper so yeah so many so many options and it says something about him as a character. I, I think it's a positive. You know, I think I saw Michael Owen's analysis of it yesterday and saying that he needs to change his mindset, you know, because he, he shouldn't even be contemplating that kind of finish at nil-nil. But 
I think that's just that's that is just who he is. It's a little bit like the old cliche that people used to say about what players who get red cards. You'd say you don't want to take that aggression out of the game. I don't think you can take that sort of, you know, what's the wildness? I suppose about about Nunes and and it's, it's it seems silly to call it wildness when it's such a composed finish, but it is wild that he would even consider it because it was the last option I would have thought a centre forward would be would be thinking, you know. Fair enough if the goalkeeper lies down and, and, and makes makes your mind up for you. But Flecken didn't even, I mean, he was stood up. He's, he's chipped a, a goalkeeper from four or five yards away when he's been stood up. So it's it's an outrageously good piece of technique. It's an outrageously impressive piece of confidence. But it's also one that, you know, it sort of speaks to his character, doesn't it? It speaks to Nunes that, you know, whatever you expect from him, he doesn't often deliver it. I actually wrote in, in my stuff yesterday for, for Substack that I've been watching a lot of cricket recently and there's a big debate in cricket about England and basketball and whether, you know, they, they sort of, they have this mindset that you the, the more tense a game situation goes, the more you should sort of attack it and really sort of, you know, do the, do the sort of the front foot thing. Well, I think Darwin would fit in quite nicely in that, that cricket team, but sometimes it'll go wrong, sometimes it'll go right. It went right. It went right on Saturday. It was a brilliant finish. Um, I think just as impressive as the finish, obviously the assist was great, but I think the, the anticipation from Nunes as well, as you see the ball goes up, he's the only one really that's on the move that, you know, anticipates that ah, this might reach Jota and he might be able to guide it into my party. He sort of banks on banks on the brilliance of Jota, gets his reward. Um, so I think there's, there's so much to admire about it, even if, you know, it's easy to imagine that it could have gone wrong when we'd have been sitting here talking, going, oh, that chance Nunes missed it at 0-0 where he tried to chip the keeper and the keeper just caught it or he put it over the bar. But, you know, I don't think... Um, I think if you look at his numbers this season, 13 goals, 11 assists, I think I think we're seeing more, far more good than bad from, from Darwin this season. I think you've kind of hit the nail on the head there because I think what's... Certainly, part of the special about this side is they do each individually bank on each other's brilliance, and I think that's what makes it so successful. That's why we've seen uh, so many sort of contributions from um, players who've you know who've come off the bench this season as well. And um, I, I do, I'm glad you mentioned the Michael Owen point because um, I, I was thinking about it as well this morning. I think I agree to an extent if it benefits his overall output, but then is it bad? You almost don't you don't want to see him become fully sanitized. Yeah. Do, yeah, do you know yeah. what I mean? It would be, you know, you think even if you're sort of popping in 30 of these sorts of little dinks and curls and you think, yeah, but, you know, I wouldn't mind there's, seeing this. There's <laughs> a little comparison there with, with someone like Michael Owen and maybe Robbie Fowler when they came through that. I think I, I've seen it I've seen it said a lot of times that, that sort of Owen, Owen wasn't as loved as Fowler by Liverpool fans. And, and and I don't know whether that ever grated on Owen. I don't know whether, you know, I've, I've, there's been a little bit of back and forth between them, hasn't it, Over, I think Fowler made some comments about his how good a striker he was in comparison to Owen. But I think what, for me, and I it's my era, so I can talk about this really sort of, you know, personally. But for me, the thing about Fowler is, he would do things that you would you would want to try in the playground. We, you know, you you would want to flick it through someone's legs and 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 dink the goalkeeper or flick it over your own head and volley it on your left foot or whatever it was. He he would he would score a lot of goals, but spectacular goals as well and, and imaginative goals. Owen was amazing, but he had he did have one absolutely amazing attribute, which was he was lightning quick when he was when he was young, and he was a really good finisher as well. He, he was, but he, but he was. He was cold and he was clinical and he was sort of, 
he was quite modern in the way that he he, he did it. You know, it was about you know sort of his his position position and just sort of not really asking and you know not really doing anything out of the ordinary. He was just just getting into the right positions and putting the ball away. And he was he was brilliant at it. A little bit like Ian Rush, you know, he's ruthless in that sense. But it's it I think it's harder to sort of absolutely fall in love with that kind of player. It's it, it's a little bit like. You know, Mbappe and Haaland a little bit now. We, I think everyone appreciates that those two are unbelievable players. But I think if you asked everyone, who would you rather, who would you rather play like? Who would I rather be as a player? I'd rather be Mbappe and have his his armory than than Haaland. But it doesn't mean that one's one's more successful or less successful. And I think Nunes is in that. He, he, I think he can be a player who gets an awful lot of goals. And he, I mean, he's getting enough goals. I think at the moment he could get more, but he's getting he's getting a fair few. But I think he'll. I think he'll always have that element of, but he'll score some absolute crackers as well. He'll score, you know, volleys. He'll score overhead kicks and great headers. And like, I mean, I probably wouldn't have imagined he'd score one like he scored on Saturday. But he's shown there that he's got that kind of mentality as well. That you know, if you think you know him, if you if you think you've got him sussed, you haven't. No, absolutely, absolutely. I, I think it's worth sort of bearing in mind sort of the the other performances that we sort of did see. Uh, in, in the game, I thought Walter Endo in particular yeah. was fantastic. I mean, it's nice sort of scrolling down sort of Twitter and, and seeing some sort of really positive kind of commentary. And you know, I think that's probably some of the best. I think I saw someone tweet that it was you know one of the best pieces of business that we've done in years. And I think for the money, you'd, you'd have to agree because you're looking at that in the summer and thinking it's just the kind of signing we need. But you know, he's, he's in his thirties. You know, where's this going to yeah. go? But, in terms of even just how he uses his body on the pitch, you know, sometimes you, you look at players and they have the height and they have the physicality, but they don't really use it that well. Where he is using absolutely every tool in his locker to the best of his abilities. He's some player, Watura. Yeah, he's really good. I thought um, after the first 15 minutes, when, when, when Brentford had a bit of joy and, you know, obviously they, they played with the two forwards and it felt like Mope and, and Tony were linking up relatively well with, with, with what, you know, what little possession Brentford got. They were using it quite well, but it, it it did feel like Liverpool figured it out, and I think it was a key to that was Endo in terms of splitting the, in between the two the two Brentford forwards to receive the ball, and then more often than not, actually, I mean, he's really good at, at, at sort of the, the standard bounce pass, you know, either back to a centre back or out to the full back. But he also has that real ability to turn and play a forward pass in, in, into you know the next line, if you like, into maybe a McAllister or into a you know a, whoever's on the pitch, a Salah or a Jota. Um, so he's really he's really got that ability as well on on the ball. But I think off it you can see he's just a he's a teammate. You know that that's that's the way I would, I would describe him. He's a, he's a, he's an excellent teammate. He he's always there to to back up whoever's pressing the ball. He's always there to if the ball goes long he goes and wins it. Um, if the you know if he's involved in the second goal, isn't it? He wins the the header off the the long goal kick. Um, he's just a. He's just a very good all-round player, and, and uh, you know, I've, I've often I've often complained about Liverpool. You know, if I've had if I've had a complaint at times about Liverpool under under Fenway, and, and maybe even before that, is that sometimes they they don't they don't do these kind of signings, these kind of ones where okay, there might not be five years or seven years of 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 you know incredible sort of value in in the player, but it's a player that in, in, in improves your squad straight away. And I look around the Premier League and a lot of clubs have these kind of midfield players that you go, well, you know, Christian Norgard, for example, or 
um, in the past, they've had players like Luka Milivojevic uh, at, at uh, Crystal Palace, where you've gone, you know, they're, they're solid players, then they're all right players, you know. Liverpool don't never tend to have those kind of players, if you know what I mean. They never they don't have those ones that you go, well, they're not unbelievable, they're not spectacular players. They, they, they either have the sort of the up and coming stars or they have the sort of established stars or they have the ones that, you know, you, the, the sort of real projects, if you like. This was just a sign. It was like, well, we need a midfielder who can do this, this, and this. Who's available? Okay, it's him. He's 30. Get him in. You know, he's not going to cost the earth. He's got the right mentality and he can play as well. So, a very, very shrewd sign, especially when you compare, you know, he was essentially signed, wasn't he, because Liverpool couldn't get Romeo Lavia. Well, look at the output that, that, that have come from those two for different reasons, obviously, but Liverpool could well have been in the position where they've got, they spent 60 million on, on Romeo Lavia and they haven't been able to put him on the pitch. Or, you know, they've been able to put him on the pitch, but not be able to get any level of consistency from him because he's so young. So the, the levels he managed to get out of Endo, certainly in the last three, four months, have been outstanding. And again, I thought he was I thought he was one of the best players on the pitch on, on Saturday, for sure. Absolutely. No, I think we, we do have to finally touch the uh, sort of negatives of, of the game. Uh, and obviously the, the one that sort of stands out and certainly one that Jürgen sort of mentions after when he's discussing his sort of mixed emotions after the 4-1 win is, of course, the double injury, which um, seems a little harsh, um, I, I have to say, <laughs> uh, mm. for Liverpool. But, I mean, it's it's one of those where you can't really avoid it, isn't it? You're thinking, it's Norgard, isn't it, that falls on Gotter's um, yeah. knee and you're thinking, oh, he's, you know, he's six foot three, six foot four. Every kilogram of his, his weight on Jota's knee, you know, that's that's it, 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 it's not a malicious challenge, it, it's just pure bad fortune at that point. And uh, Curtis just sadly can't continue. You know, he's the kind of player who would just play through a bit of playing, a bit of pain, sorry, to, to get through the 90 minutes. Um, I, I think what's comforting is the fact that you look at the players that do come on. I thought Gravenberg, who came on sort of 33 minutes to go later on in the game. <laughs> was absolutely brilliant. Uh, to be fair, I think he statistically so he won most of the yes he won the most duels on the pitch uh, of the Liverpool players. Uh, useful was passing thirty one out of thirty eight. Uh, Liverpool Liverpool's depth continues to be challenged and players continue to deliver. I mean, look, we look at Connor Bradley, uh, who, who we've spoken about, you know, with, with so much praise and, and rightly so. But I think there, there comes a point where Jurgen's got to be looking at this and thinking, "What well, I, I need these players, you know." As brilliant as yeah. the lads are on the bench, you, you can look at Harvey Elliott, his virtues, you can talk about all day, Connor Bradley, Ryan Gravenberg. Um, but you need, this, especially someone like Jota, who's just been so, such a, a central figure, especially whilst we've not had Salah through the injury, through the African Cup of Nations. I mean, how, how do you look at this sort of going through? Are you, are you sort of more optimistic about the squad or is this sort of a, a real concern? Well, no, I mean, it's no, there's no point being concerned because it hasn't happened yet. You know, I think I, I do think there's a tendency among Liverpool fans to to write things off before they've happened. And so, well, that's it. That's it. You know, I saw I saw you know a few people saying, oh, that you know that'll be a costly a costly three points. It it, it might be come the end of the season and they'll have their moment, but it's still three points away at Brentford. And I, I think a lot of people, no one would swap the three points for the two players back fit and, and a two 0 defeat. So. It's it's massively unfortunate. At the same time, obviously Salah comes back and immediately looks sharp. I say Gravenberg comes on, and 
Of course, you know he's got a bit to prove. I think at Liverpool, but that's a good start. So can he build on that? You've got you've got the the ability to to lay down the the, the challenge to him. You've obviously got your left backs situation and your right back situation is a little bit better now. Obviously with with the two left backs back and Gomez able to to be with Bradley. So it's sort of taking pieces out and putting pieces in a little bit at the moment. Um, I think the two players, if they get injured, I think they would they will be big misses because of the the style of play that they they have and the the the, the tactical sort of importance to the team. Jot is obviously one of those players that he influences the game. You know, he, in the, in the right way, he gets into he gets into the scoring areas, but he's also a fighter and he, he takes the fight to other teams. I don't think he's ever cowed by a physical challenge or an away game or you know a, 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 a tense atmosphere. This is obviously really good for the balance of the team, so they will definitely be missed. But Liverpool have shown all season. You know, we, we how many times have we said it. I mean, look, Friday before that's before the game, people said, "Oh God, Allison's out." Well, Keller had played really well, so that, that's 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 okay. People said Trent, you know, Trent's got injured. Or, you know, never going to be able to cope. Connor Bradley steps in, and you go, "Oh, well, okay, looks all right." To the point where when Trent came back, people were saying, "Actually, I don't think he comes straight back in." Um. We've seen it at the start of the season with, with Joel Matip getting injured, Gerald Kwanzaa managed to step in. So I don't have any doubts about the, 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 the capability of Liverpool squad of handling these injuries. But you would want, obviously, the best possible news first and foremost from Jota and Jones. And I don't necessarily think it'll be great news on Jota in particular. Um, and you want you want to avoid too many more because obviously there comes a point when you, you can't take any more but I don't think Liverpool are there yet I don't think Liverpool are at the stage where it's like oh they just can't get through this I think there might be some tough games ahead and I'm looking at the final next weekend and thinking that's a really tough pick in midfield if Curtis is out because it's obviously your natural Gravenberg would be the natural replacement but he's obviously not not sort of done it for 90 minutes in a, in a, in a huge game yet Elliot would be a, an option, but then you'd be having sort of three really small in stature midfield players against a, a team like Chelsea. That would be a that would be a risk. So I think there are some difficult selections coming up, and there might be some sort of mix and match going on, and there might be some pain to come in games where Liverpool have got to ride storms. But I don't think you can sort of have anything other than than a, a fair amount of faith. In, in these replacements coming in because there's been so many of them who've done the job this season. There's 20 goals from subs this season, I think it was. Um, so there's plenty of plenty of quality to come in and, and cope. Um, it's just a shame for the players involved that they've they've been the ones who've look, got what looked like at least significant injuries. You know, in the case of obviously Trent out for a few weeks, Sobislai looks like he's going to be touch and go for the final. Probably not. We don't know about Allison, but. Jones and Jota both look like their injuries that are not going to be a, a week or two. I think Jota's could be a, a good while. I suppose, as you've touched on, ultimately, we come away with the three points. We do. This is a season of players writing stories, um, which is only added by the fact that you know Jurgen's leaving this summer. Liverpool are in all the four competitions still that they're playing for. The City result ha- obviously happens, and you look at the table and think, "My God!" Even if City win their game in hand, Liverpool top of the table. But, I mean, we're, of course, we're only 25 games into the season. There's still a long way, long way to go. But even seeing that at this stage, you know, I yeah. remember the reaction when it was, you know, City, I think we 
we've lost points somewhere and City obviously had the two games in hand. Everyone's going, oh, you know, they only need to win those in their head. But, you know, there are twists and turns around the corner. Uh, I think, you know, there was a time, of course, when everyone had dismissed Arsenal out at hand and, and now they're certainly in a position where, you know, it's looking very tight at the top of the table, but Liverpool are writing a story here. Um, I, what I do want to touch on, uh, certainly before we win this, uh, this chat, is, of course, um, we spoke last time about the obvious Front runner to potentially replace Jurgen Klopp in, in Javi Alonso, um, but I wanted to bring up some other names that have been linked with and sort of discuss their their virtues. Um, so obviously we've seen uh, in recently the Portuguese uh, top flight has become a major front for potential candidates, uh, chiefly in Ruben Amorim at Sporting Lisbon and Benfica's Roger Schmidt. Um, I'll start off with Ruben first, uh, the younger of, of the three I'm going to t- touch upon. Uh, Thirty nine years of age, so you think plenty of fuel, fuel in the tank for a young coach. Had a pretty sort of interesting managerial career, you know, won it, winning Sporting's first league title in 19 years, promoting young players to the squad who've gone on to make a big impact, including Liverpool-linked uh, Gonzalo Inachal, uh, Mateus Nunes, who obviously now plays for Manchester City, uh, won the cup with them the next season, disappointment the season after, but now again they're engaging in a title uh, title challenge against Benfica, described as a pragmatic manager, good communication skills, tactical flexibility. I suppose. I suppose the question is really at, the, at this point, how much will sort of personality win out over tactical style? Because I mean, we spoke about this again, you know, last week to an important degree. It's not just about whether you're tactically astute or pragmatic. You need to fit the bill specifically as a Liverpool manager. Uh, that, that's quite an important thing. Oh yeah, I think it's the biggest, the biggest thing because whoever's comes in has already got a job on their hands and not necessarily that they won't be welcomed or that they won't be sort of popular with, with fans, but that they're replacing someone who, who, who was, who was universally popular among Liverpool fans who, who you know, so they were replacing everyone's hero. He, they will be. So personality is huge. You couldn't, you couldn't bring in, and I'm just thinking of like Manuel Pellegrini, for example, who was, you know, uh, at one point was obviously a big man. You couldn't have a character like him who doesn't really engage with, with, with fans. He doesn't really, display much passion he doesn't really have a great grasp of sort of language around around you know english, english football um i don't think that would work i don't i just don't i think they would be on the back foot from the way it goes so personality is, is a, a big thing of course talent and and, and and ability um i think you mentioned ruben amarim 39 i think brendan rogers was i think he might have been 39 when he took the, the liverpool job so there is there is form for for you know liverpool Putting a young manager in there, and I think it, I think it is a young manager's job personally. Um, just just with the the squads, with the sort of the challenge that there is, obviously with the you know the amount of sort of emotion that comes with with managing Liverpool, especially if it's a, a Liverpool that's up at the top end of the, the the table and competing for the big honours. So I think it, I think a young person, relatively young, you know, um, I mean, it's not wrong with being thirty nine. By the way, I am myself. Um, <laughs> would be. Would be advisable. I don't. I know. I don't. I wouldn't see a sort of a, a, a an aging veteran sort of doing this job. Um, certainly not for the long term. So he's got a good record. I, I can make my, the question would be sort of how immediately managing in the Portuguese league transfers to managing in the Premier League, and we see players coming across, and you know it's seen as a good breeding ground for, for top players, the Portuguese league. But for top managers, is the challenge the same? Is the sort of is the level of um, the, the, the diversity of the challenge, really, you know, 
Sport Lisbon, Benfica and Porto, even in their worst seasons, are expected to win pretty much every game and, and have a fair chance of winning you know, most games. So is that is that ample preparation for, for, for a, a job at Liverpool where they are going to be expected to compete with Manchester City on a, on a weekly basis? When they're going to be expected to be one of the leaders in the in the Champions League betting, maybe. But it would be a question I would ask. Um, I, I would, I would say that somewhere like the Bundesliga, somewhere like you know the lower reaches of the Premier League, potentially would be would be a better gauge. But he's been there a while. He's done a good job, so you can't you can't argue with his credentials to potentially get a, a shot at another job in the in the near future. I, I think that's the thing that you've you, you touched upon quite well. It, it, you look at sort of Alonso, uh, and then you sort of think, well, Leverkusen challenging Munich for the title when Leverkusen have never won uh, the Bundesliga, yeah. and their last trophy came in 1994, I want to say. Um, it, it, that 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 is significant in whatever way you look at it, even if you factor in the fact that. Um, Munich's Munich's form and performances have kind of curtailed in sort of recent weeks. Tuchel struggling. You, you still very much expect uh, Munich with their resources, uh, the, certainly the players they've got at their disposal, uh, to be winning the league title. They have won the league title regularly. This, this would be quite, well, certainly will be considered by the Munich board quite the failure on Tuchel's part oh, yeah. to retain. It is significant, but as you pointed out as well, we expect the players that come from the Portuguese top flight to potentially deliver in, in the Premier League. So to an extent, we do have to ask ourselves if, if it is also translatable for the managers. Uh, I yeah. mean, I mentioned Schmidt. He's obviously at the other end of the scale in terms of age. He's, he's uh, 56 uh, years six. of age. He's the same age as Jürgen, really. I, I, a bit of a journeyman manager, also uh, managed at Leverkusen as well, did reasonably well, got Champions League qualification for them, won a, a Dutch Cup with PSV against Ajax. He's now at Benfica. Um, He's won the title with them already. Had an unbeaten run for 29 games, breaking Portuguese records for consecutive wins in the Champions League without losing. First Portuguese team to reach the quarterfinals twice in a row. These are also quite significant achievements, and it's certainly for you know we discussed this again last week for a Liverpool manager. Success in Europe is paramount. Uh, you know, we, we want that. Yeah. We thrive that. We need it. Um, but it, I, I suppose it, it, it's the age that bothers me. It is the age. And it's the same thing with have with Postacoglu to, to a certain degree. I do wonder, even though maybe the personality might be the right fit, the age bothers me. I just think, as you say, this is a young this is a young manager's job to a certain degree. At least thinking, you know, if you go oh, 45 around that sort of age, you think, okay, fine. But you think, can you go for another eight years in one of the most emotionally you know, mentally, spiritually, physically draining jobs in world football. Can you do that? I just wonder. Yeah, I think also, I think his record isn't particularly impressive, you know, as 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 a 56-year-old manager. You know, you you mentioned, obviously, there he won, he won the, the Bundesliga, the Australian Bundesliga with, with Salzburg. It's like, well, you know, okay, so I think Jesse Marsh won, won, won that. Yeah. Um, you know, you, you win the league tight with Benfica. Listen, it's not, not a down play someone's achievements of doing it but it's not it doesn't it doesn't elevate you by winning the if you win the the, the, the Portuguese league with Benfica I don't go wow that's some achievement it's, it's, you know you, you may as well have won the Scottish league with Celtic you know I think a lot of Benfica's success to me 
doesn't come from the coach or necessarily. I mean, obviously the coach is important, but a lot of Benfica's success comes from the people who, who do the work, either in recruitment, bringing in South American players at the right time, or in the youth development system. That that's Benfica's success for me. It's not, it's not a coach's club where where I look at it and go, as in sorry, a head coach's club where where I go, wow, you know, like he's he's got this group of players doing unbelievable things with, you know, how has he managed that? I look at the talent that they produce and I think, yeah. That, that's that's the success of Benfica. So I don't, I wouldn't, I would not look at a a manager of a club like that. And, and that's that's me. You know, that's my my personal sort of opinion on it. But I would not look at a manager like that and go, wow, that the job he's doing there is is ample preparation for Liverpool. It, for me, it's not. The, the job of Liverpool is you have to create a team that is able to play against the best club team in the world and is able to compete over thirty eight games against the best club team in the world, in the toughest league in the world as well. So, you know, that is a narrow field of of coaches that can do that. For me, I look at the, who are the coaches that have been able to do it. Okay, Jürgen Klopp's been able to do it. How did he do it? Okay, well, he took on the biggest club, one of the biggest clubs in the world, and by far the biggest club in Germany. He, he did that, and he did it through channeling the fan base, through playing football with energy, bringing in great players, Mostly creating great players, bringing in players and turning them into great players through his coaching and through his his, his man management. I look at Mikel Arteta now doing it, and you know whether he whether he eventually manages to do it, but he, he's at least put himself in the conversation as being a, a someone to rival City. How's he done it? He's done it through basically a, a complete sort of obsession with coaching. You know that that he's the Guardiola sort of he's the, the model, isn't it? So for me, Liverpool are going to have to make a decision on 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 that. At one of those two for me, I think it's going to have to be either the sort of the the real emotional driver or the um you know the the, the coaching genius if you like um and I think there's a possibility and um, the more you the more you see it the more you think about it the more you talk about it the more you read there's a possibility that Javi Alonso falls in in sort of in both of those categories. I don't see a 56-year-old Roger Smith with his sort of history in China and, and Austria and and and, and um, Portugal as impressive as as um, a manager and a person as he as he may well be. I don't see him as being the sort of person who is going to inspire the next great Liverpool team. I just I just can't see it. Well, I think certainly whilst we sort of talk about Postecoglou, whilst he may be the superior fit in terms of personality. Again, I think, I mean, one, you've got to deal with Daniel Levy, um, who's... <laughs> Postacoglu, yeah. Postacoglu, yeah. I yeah. Mean, you've got to deal with Daniel Levy, you know, who, who has history for, you know, you've got, he's going to make sure that Liverpool would have to move heaven and earth to get him anywhere near Anfield. Again, 58 years of age, so two years older already than Jürgen. Um, so questions again over the sort of length of time. But, I, I mean, where, where do you stand on that one? Because I, I just look, I look at those two and I just think, not going to happen. Not gonna happen. Yeah, <laughs> I think obviously Postacoglu is a little bit of an easy link with the the Liverpool fan connection, isn't it? And look, he's done a he has done a good job at Spurs. I think it's been a little bit oh, overplayed. Yeah. I think it's been a little bit overplayed the job he's done at Spurs, um personally. But he has done a good job. Um, you know, in terms certainly in terms of imprinting himself on the team. You know, he's 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 created a an atmosphere, hasn't it? There's a lot more positive around spares that that we've seen in, you know, we've seen sort of more. 
renowned managers really sort of bring the mood down at that club, haven't we? And he's he's done the opposite. He's really got them sort of enjoying themselves again, which is is, is a testament to him. And you're right. I don't I don't see it. I don't I don't see a Liverpool sort of wanting to go down that kind of negotiating route with 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 a club like Spurs and obviously the the, the money they would have to pay and the the. the Messing about that they would have to do probably to get even Spurs to to pick up the phone, uh, and yeah, again, like I say, I think I think it's a young I, I think it's a young manager's job. I do, you know, when when your manager who is known for his energy is saying that he's running out of energy, I think you have to listen to that and you have to say, okay, what does that require? It might need someone fresh into the job, into football. It might need someone that's not you know become cynical by years of failures or years of you know press conferences and, and criticism and travelling and all those things. Um it might need it might need that. And you know, I, I know I keep coming back to it, but it, it all signs do just point towards one or two managers, don't they? And I think Javi is is is, is by far the the standout candidate. I think Jürgen said it himself. I think he used that phrase. He said in the next generation of managers he's clearly the standout. Um whether Liverpool can get them or not, that's the next question. But for me, I think it's a it's a no brainer that they would try. Let's come back to Alonso because you know, I mean, everyone wants to come back to Alonso for very very good reason. I, I think sometimes you sort of get you look at sort of neutral commentators are going to say, well, it's you know it's because he's a an ex Liverpool midfielder, but it's so much more than that. It's so that's just merely the cherry on the cake. I, I think the last thing I kind of want to discuss is really there is a world. And I don't want to consider it where Liverpool don't get Xabi Alonso. Yeah. yeah. And that, that would be a real disappointment for, for many of us for many reasons. I, I suppose I don't want to fall into that trap of saying it, it's it's Alonso or bust. It's it's Alonso or the collapse of Liverpool Football Club. Because Liverpool Football Club <laughs> will go yeah. on. You know what I mean? We will we, we do yeah. find we do find a reason to go on. Um it doesn't necessarily mean the end of the world, though it will probably feel like it for a short time if, if we miss an appointment. Liverpool can still make the right decision. There are still candidates out there, some who we might not have even heard of yet, and bringing a man that the fans can get behind and crucially can lead a team to silverware. Um, we mentioned Ruben Amarim. Uh, again, there are questions over whether he could make that adaptation to the Premier League instantly or whether he sort of needs another sort of major club role as a sort of bridge between the two. Um, but I, I, where, where do you stand, stand on this? I, I think are you optimistic that Liverpool will still find the right fit, even if for whatever reason, if Alonso chooses to stay as as Leverkusen sporting director Simon Rolfs has claimed he will, uh, or you know he, he gets snapped up bizarrely by Barcelona or, so, or something wild like that? Yeah, yeah. I, I think obviously we talked about time and we with, with with Alonso and that's that was the one thing for me and I think it, it's even more stark now I think almost that you know if it even if it doesn't happen this summer as in Alonso going somewhere else at some point Bayern Munich Chelsea Manchester United Manchester City Real Madrid Bayern um, I said Bayern Munich I'm like Paris Saint-Germain they're all going to be looking for a new manager and I, I and we're saying this you know about Liverpool. There aren't many out there. That goes for that. That goes for all clubs. There's no, you know, there's no, there's no managers beyond Guardiola probably that are, I would say, and probably maybe Arteta, but maybe that's just because of um, Premier League elements. There's no managers out there that I'm saying are untouchable from a Liverpool point of view that Liverpool couldn't get. It's just that we don't know if they're any good or, or they're good enough. 
you know, it, that's that's the managerial field at the moment. It's not it's not packed with sort of obvious obvious candidates for all these top jobs. It's packed for maybe candidates and play. You know, people like Amarim, like um, Roberto De Serbi, like like Xabi Alonso. Um, you know, there's there's others obviously with, that that are coming coming through in in Italy and 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 um, you know, a few in the Premier League with with um, Gary O'Neill and people like that who are, who are doing good jobs. Thomas Frank. But there's none that you sort of look and go, well, he's Barcelona will take him, Real Madrid will take him. They're all they're all in the sort of same very small pool a little bit, and that's why I think for Liverpool, that's why they should be for me, right in there now, saying right, we need to get this done before before everyone else sort of needs to needs to do the same thing as we're doing at the moment. Um, because like you say, yeah, if you don't get them now. It's easy to imagine Alonso at Real Madrid. It's easy to imagine him at Bayern Munich. I mean, look, Tuchel's probably not going to survive. He might not survive this season, but he certainly isn't going to survive, I don't think, the summer. So there's already sort of, you know, wolves gathering a little bit. Um, so for me, yeah, I think Liverpool needs to, I think needs, needs to be acting fast. I, I take your point on, you know, a little bit like Bellingham, I suppose, isn't it, as a player where it's yeah. like, you know, it feels like oh, whoever comes in. But then... You know, while we would have all loved Bellingham, I don't think people are too. You know, it, it hasn't felt like we spent this year sort of going, "Oh God, we didn't get Bellingham, did it?" You know, it sort of was a couple of weeks in the transfer window where everyone was disappointed. But once once the sort of see, the football started and we saw what was what was being built and what the players were, were, who had come in were like, people start to get behind and the the, the, uh, the alternative don't they? It, it wouldn't. It would probably feel like that until Liverpool came back to training and started playing a few games and having a few press conferences. If if they came back with a manager who wasn't Alonso and who was, let's say, they came back with Roger Smith, it might feel a little bit underwhelming or a little bit sort of, I'm not sure about that. But if they come and start doing the job well, then it'll be easily, um, it'll be easily forgotten. I suppose that's the only thing when it comes to the players, and that you think, well, you miss out on Belling, but it's not, it's not the end of the world. There's the, you know, not the case where you're like, oh, there's only two or three yeah. midfielders. And I suppose the other thing is, the other thing is, that's, I would say is, you know, FSG, it's been a while since they've had to do it, but the last appointment they made, they got it right, didn't they? They, 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 they did the right the right thing. They got Klopp a, a little bit like that at a time when probably there was an idea that well, we better we better get this guy because in three months' time, he's probably going to be the, a manager of someone else. I, I think the time before that with Rodgers, they they took a gamble on a, on a young manager, you know. But Liverpool were a different club at that point. They needed they needed someone to sort of you know learn on the job a little bit like they were doing as owners and as the club was doing it. You know, it, it wasn't it wasn't the sort of it wasn't among the European established elite at that time. You know, in terms of in terms of the last five or six years before that, and and they, they nearly got they nearly got. Really big results from it, didn't he? You know, Rogers. I know it ended poorly for him, but he, he did. He did have two seasons really where he, he started to build something really good at Liverpool and and very nearly won the won the title. So their appointments have been decent. You know, but Gleish was the one obviously it was fought. They were forced into really early on in their tenure, but he he, did, he won them a trophy and he, yeah. he did have a he did have the effect that he was brought in to do. He, he was he had. He was brought in to stabilise and to sort of reunite a little bit, and he did that. So the appointments they've made. Different ones and in different different eras and for different reasons. They haven't really. I don't think they've made a bad one yet. In in that sense. So you know, with that, even though it's like you say, it's you know nearly nine years since they made the last one. You can still have a degree of faith that you know, okay, they'll 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 at least come to a considered decision. It won't it won't just be a sort of oh god, 
get someone in quick, you know, before pre-season starts. It will be something that there will be a thought process behind it. There will be a plan behind it. And I think that does maybe give you a little bit of um, reason for faith in, in the sort of in the process, you know, even if it's even if it maybe isn't Alonso or it isn't the manager that you wanted or the manager you think Liverpool should have picked. I think you can still have a little bit of faith in 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 that that it's a, a decision that's been made with you know the right intentions in a, situation, in a difficult situation yeah. as well because they didn't expect to be in this position they didn't want to be in this position i'm pretty sure they'd have loved to extend jürgen's um contract a bit further um yeah it's they'll make they'll they'll, they'll have to try and make the best of a of a tough situation of course I think there's been a lot said as well of, of the process because you know, I mean, we've seen athletic reports on this discussing that you know the priority will be a sporting director first who will then have input on the managerial selection. I think uh, plenty of sort of expressed a bit of concern that well, you know, we still don't have a sporting director. The Sharks are beginning to circle around Alonso, but I kind of think well, I, I don't see a world in which Liverpool aren't at least engaging in some form of communication, some kind of conversation with Alonso and his sort of representatives. Yeah. I refuse to believe it's going to be a sporting director and then we'll start talking to Alonso because by that point, no, no, no. you've already invited the Sharks in. Um, yeah, so- and you've already, got to, you've already got to... Liverpool will already be doing some sort of diligence, whether it's scouting, whether it's agents or... or for signings in the summer, they'll be looking at... And, and, What's the first question an agent's going to ask at the negotiating table? He's not going to say what's my wages or where am I going to play? Who's who's the manager? You know, I, you know, you can't. You, football's a very small world. Football's a you know, it's a, it's a it's a huge huge um, game and sport and industry, but it's a very small world. Everyone knows everything. Everyone everyone thinks or they thinks they know everything. So there will be a lot of rumors going around at the agency circles, and you know. There'll be a lot of people looking for clarification. They'll be looking at opportunities. Look, you know, okay, if if that manager's going in there, my player might be ideal for them, or you know, he gets on well with him, or or, or vice versa. So there will be a lot of yeah, you know, I I don't see it being at Liverpool right going right. We've got this guy in sporting director. Who do you fancy as our next manager? They will they will already be well down that track. They've had a lot of time to do it. They've had since November to be thinking about this. That's all. I'm I'm pretty sure. Those two elements will be all they've been thinking about in that in that period, um, and if not, then they haven't been doing their job. Well, it seems a nice, sort of optimistic note to end this latest episode of Empire of the Cop Insider. It's a four-one win for Liverpool over Brentford at the cost of two key players, but Liverpool's squad. Liverpool's depth keeps on providing, and that's what I'm going to be holding on to uh, for the coming uh, weeks. Uh, Neil, it's been a pleasure as always to have you on, and of course, everyone catching. Online uh, with covering Liverpool at your Substack on neiljay.substack.com, and of course you're on Twitter or X as it's currently known at Neil Jones Goal. We'll of course be posting this uh, conversation on our own channels on YouTube and our own Substack at EmpireTheCop.substack.com. Otherwise, this has been the lovely Neil Jones covering Liverpool. I've been your host, Mark Healing. Thanks for watching Empire of the Cop Insider, and take care.